Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Everyone, it's so great having you all here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and the CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com. Make sure to click on the links in my show link or email me at michelle.zou at ptcgconsulting.com. And I always welcome you to connect me on LinkedIn. Today, we have Andy Wilson, chairman of the Washington State China Relations Council, on the show together with me. We're going to talk about strategies for building business partnerships in China how you can access the market and protect your technologies. So, Andy, welcome to the show. Hello, Michelle. It's great to be here. All right. Let's first start with maybe you introduce yourself to our audience to talk a little bit about who you are and what you have been doing, and especially the engagement with China. Sure. We're happy to. First off, let me certainly wish to you and all the, all the listeners Happy New Year. That's right. We just uh, passed the Chinese New Year. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, my name is Andy Wilson, and, and it's ab- absolutely a pleasure to be here. And, and uh, one of my current roles is I chair the Washington State China Relations Council. And Michelle, you're a member of our board, and, and uh, uh, it's uh, one of those valuable opportunities uh, for me to bring my experience to current business people. And so this conversation, I think, is is a continuation of that. Just for a brief background, I've been involved in international business for probably now more than 35 years um, across North America, managing companies in Europe, but particularly in Asia and in the China environment. And this spans industries from consumer products to consumer electronics to intellectual property and innovation. Um, early in the in the uh, my career, and we'll give some examples of this, I worked with the Eastman Kodak Company setting up uh, Asian operations and progressed into um, sometime in the United States State Department uh, and also in the innovation and intellectual property space with a company based here in Seattle called Intellectual Ventures. Uh, so that's a little bit of my background. And I think as, we, as the conversation goes on, I'll give some examples where I think there are are practical cases where it talks to the how business strategy actually has evolved in the China environment um, and what to look forward to in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Andy. Uh, I think we can start with the parts that you have been involved with for so many years. Um, 
building business partnerships, uh, this does not limit to China, but uh, uh, if mm-hmm. anything relates to China, any examples relates to China, that will be really, really beneficial. Yeah. So maybe I first start with, in your mind, right, you have worked with so many partners. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, what should a successful partnership look like, uh, ideally? Exactly. And so I'll, I'll start with a couple of themes here, I think, that we'll pick up on through the conversation. And one is that you need to find success through a focus on mutual benefit, and particularly in the China environment. And this, you know, that is important in any business relationship, but I think it grounds Chinese relationships even more. So the first point is finding mutual benefit. A second is to be flexible. This is a changing environment. Uh, there has been more change in the economic and business environment in China in the last few decades than virtually any place in history. And so that requires both knowledge and flexibility. The third point uh, that I'd make is need to understand the Chinese perspective that, that allows you to find mutual benefit. What are your partner's priorities? What is their strategy? Um, and lastly, I'd say know your own objectives, um, what you want to protect and what you want to accomplish. And again, all of those things, um, finding mutual benefit, being flexible and learning, uh, understanding your partner's perspective and strategy and understanding your perspective, perspective and strategy, all of those wrap around finding the overlap of interests. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting that you put the know your own objectives uh, as your last point. I, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, normally when we start a business or when we are thinking about uh, no matter which market you are going to or do something, there's... you. We are relatively clear about our own objectives, uh, but we probably not necessarily know the other side that well, uh, that well. We hope we know, we assume we know, but uh, a lot of times uh, there might be um, different viewpoints uh, mm-hmm. since we are all you know coming from different uh, markets, different cultural background, and different companies. So, right. how do you uh, explore? You know, when you uh, maybe you can take a little bit back on uh, knowing your own objectives, then explore the other sides, their perspectives, to in order to get to the mutual benefits part. Right. So the first part on on your own objectives, it's um, not difficult to kind of crystallize what a organization or company is trying to accomplish in revenue growth, in expansion of their footprint into new markets, things like that. So that can be quantified. But it's also important to know what you want to protect. What are your core assets as an organization, be they know-how and manufacturing technology or intellectual property, other things like that? Because that defines what you're willing to what you're willing to give and what you need to retain for your business security. And that then brings into a relationship, into a discussion with a business partner, where you can in fact um, help enhance their strategy and where in fact you need to protect, um, your own assets. And so when we talk about, you know, these, these kind of casual terms like win-win, um, win-win is the overlap of interests. And to define that overlap of interest, you'll need to be very clear on what you are trying to accomplish and to protect. Um, in other words, what you will keep and what you will give. And that allows you to explore your partner's strategy and where you can enhance that. Um, now, in some cases, it's um, quite practical that you may find there is no overlap of interests, that the partner needs some things you're not willing to give or the partner needs some things you may not have. 
Um, but again, knowing yourself allows you to enter the relationship in a totally honest fashion, to be honest with your partner, saying, these are the things, in fact, I have to offer to this relationship, and these are the things I need to protect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you talk about the things to protect, that immediately helped me to think about in the technology industry, because mm-hmm. I lived in the technology industry for over 20 years, and I know your background, you have worked on things that relates to IP transfer mm-hmm. uh, and uh, IP protection. So let's just take the technology industry as an example. Um, I know currently a lot of the Chinese companies, they're trying to acquire technology uh, IPs from, f- let's pick American, um, mm-hmm. from uh, U.S. companies. And uh, um just thinking about uh, then and many uh, uh, American companies, they would like to tap into the huge Chinese market. But on both sides, there's concerns, especially because I work with uh, American companies as, a, you know, the consulting firm. Um, there's a fear in many people's mind. They said, well, you know, when I go to China, I bring my products, my technologies, my know-how into China. Uh, but... Uh, I heard that uh, um, historically, Chinese market, um, the IP is not very much being protected. So I think uh, that's that's true. The uh, the fear is it is in the market. Uh, through your experience, how do you guys help people explore this and really finding the balance and uh, uh, protect the, uh, their um, IP, but in the same time, or protect their whatever things they want to protect, but in the mm-hmm. meantime, they can benefit from this huge market. So, a couple, a couple of things here. One is I would separate a little bit from between know-how and and patented properties, I'll say. Both are intellectual property, but know-how um, is not necessarily patented and, and is highly valuable to companies. This could be um, manufacturing techniques, um, and in other proprietary information. That'll be the first comment. The second will be to make sure we understand the dynamics of some of these technologies. So first on the, on the know-how side and patented properties, um, know-how is, is something that companies should be incredibly protective of uh, because that is many times, I'll say, the secret sauce of, of a business. It allows that manufacturing process to be highly efficient. It allows... Uh, a cost structure to be much lower, those kinds of things. And uh, if you bring those into a a shared environment, I'll say, be, be it a joint venture or a wholly owned operation or something else, you have some risks in that environment that some of that know-how may leak out. And so in some cases, you may not want that environment to be in that new company you're establishing in a particular country. That may be China or that may be Germany. Uh, in other words... You should look to protect that technology every place you go. With regard to patented properties, um, one of the things that uh, I think is not well understood, uh, and I was uh, kind of grounded in this in my work in Intellectual Ventures. Intellectual Ventures is one of the world's largest holders of intellectual property and uh, very active, actively engaged in licensing and intellectual property purchased, buying and selling around the world, including in China. And what the facts are, actually, is that there is a lot of intellectual property protection happening in China. 
Um, and that has been a, a, I'll say, continuous progression. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, China had very little even legal regime and law around intellectual property. Today, China is not only one of the largest uh, uh, patenters uh, in the world in terms of patent applications and grants, but also uh, is, has an in, in increasingly, um, uh, I'll say, diligent legal process. Um, there's more progress to be made in some areas. We can talk about this in a second. But that in many cases, China upholds uh, patent rights, and particularly foreign patent rights, um, at a rate uh, at, that is equal to many other countries. And so the laws have gotten better, and the application of the law has become better inside of China. And so there are um, mechanisms that can be successful for foreign companies to assert their rights if they feel they've been wronged in a patent or trademark or other other granted property that they own. Uh, and so... There is a there is what I try to kind of round that out with is there are some things you're at risk at, um, particularly things like know-how in an environment like China, um, and there are other things that if you're smart about what you place into that environment, you can exercise protection of those assets like patents in the courts. Um, it's you know China. I'll just finish this with. Two areas, for instance, and there are many where China can continue to improve. One is on penalties. The penalties for uh, uh, patent fraud, I'll say, of, of stealing somebody's, somebody's intellectual property are not as high as they are in other countries. And so there's not as much a disincentive. Um, and secondly, transparency in the courts. Uh, the transparency and publication of, of information is not, uh, when things are in a court proceeding, as uh, strong as in other countries like the United States. Uh, but these are areas that will should continue to improve in the coming years. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what I heard from you, uh, the two points are very clear come out. One is know what you really, really want to protect. For example, the know-how, is that something you really want to protect? Then you need to think about uh, what's the right way to enter into the China market or any markets you are going mm-hmm. to. Yeah. The other thing is... Uh, Patented properties, uh, you can use uh, laws, you can use um, their uh, policies, uh, uh, really understand uh, those kind of things uh, or get help so you can uh, protect uh, uh, in an appropriate way. Uh, and you also mentioned, uh, uh, which is also my understanding uh, in China, maybe many years ago, um, the Patent protection was not strong. Uh, it is improving. Uh, it's not uh, perfect yet, but um, it's getting better and better every year. So that's something promising. Uh, we just need to really make a judgment on or really assess, uh, coming back to your point, uh, know our own objectives and mm-hmm. think about, uh, yeah, what we want to get out from this and then uh, carefully <laughs> carefully craft a line uh, to uh, to reach business goals but in the meantime protect ourselves right yeah. one other thing I'll, I'll mention is that in terms of finding this overlap of interest between you and your partner and your, this may be a joint venture or a distribution partner or other relationships in the market literally customers um, in the market for your product or service it's do, doing your homework is absolutely critical, and a part of that, because it's a dynamic environment, is understand currently and in the future what is your partner's strategy, where is their business, what how, you know, what is their business model, and how do they um, 
plan to be successful in the future. It's also important as background to understand Chinese national strategy, mm-hmm. as, as that may apply to your particular interests. And if you see a difference between what you think your partner strategy is and national strategy, therein lies risk. That partner may have some uh, risk to his business being able to continue um, or being pressured from the, by the government or other, other ways that in, in which, you know, if you choose to work with that partner uh, and national policy is going in a different direction, you may find it more difficult um, than some other partners. So that's one is understand on that side. As I said before, um, understand your business strategy, your priorities, your assets, all of that. Also in the background, it's not as critical, but it is important, understand U.S. national strategy. So I'll give as an example, because we're talking about high technology here. If you're in a sensitive technology, um, if you're in a highly sensitive technology, you're just it's just not practical to be integrating yourself into China. But if you're in a dual-use technology that has potential military or national security applications in addition to broad market applications, for instance, in consumer telecom or, or other areas, um, you ought that that is a sensitive area, and that's an area that you may find difficulty uh, either integrating into the China environment or, for instance, on this side over here, accepting Chinese investment into your business. Because U.S. national okay. strategy is currently being looked at in these dual-use dual areas, and potential laws are moving through Congress or, or proposed laws that would tighten and more restrict those companies. And so it's important in many of these relationships you want to sustain over, you know, many years or a decade or more in terms of, you know, your entry into China relationships. It's important to understand the the context of the relationship between the U.S. and China and the competition between the U.S. and China during that period and whether that might affect your industry or your partner. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think uh, uh, we will take a break uh, really quickly, then we come back to dig a little bit more into this. Uh, and I really, really want to hear some more concrete examples uh, that, yeah. Andy, you have yeah, encountered before uh, to help our audience understand, uh, uh, you know, what's the situation look like and how they can get help and uh, uh, what's, you know, what's the outcome can come from that. All That'd right, let's take, a, yeah, let's take a quick break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back. Oh, this is Michelle, and I'm here with my guest, uh, Andy Wilson. We're talking about strategies for building business partnership in China and talk about uh, specifically how we can access the market and protect your technologies. So, Andy, uh, before the break, we talked uh, uh, very briefly about the four points you mentioned of how a successful partnership look like and we uh, go a little bit deeper into knowing your own objectives and understand the Chinese perspective. I think uh, one of the things you touched on is um, thinking about uh, not just uh, your business objectives but also looking at your um, you know what you would like to uh, protect and uh, you mentioned uh, it's very important to understand both sides on the national level, the policies, as well as the government roles and the evolving of those um, policies and the relative laws, uh, how is that going to help you to protect your technologies? Maybe we can go a little bit, a little bit deeper into this yeah. and be more practical for our audience. Sure. So let me let me actually stage through um, what's been happening in China because it's valuable to have a perspective on today and where China is going in the future to know where China has been because this is a constantly changing business environment and has been for the last uh, three, four decades. And because it's constantly changing, there's both opportunity and peril for companies in this. If you measure this wrong or use old formulas in putting your business together or your market entry strategy um, you're at great risk as a business, either of having an unsuccessful venture or even worse, losing some of your technology. So let me go back a little bit. And we're, we happen to be, you and I today, Michelle, in, in Seattle. And Seattle was, was actually a foundation of the last era, I'll say, of the U.S.-China relationship. Um, and we're entering a new era today. But again, let's look back. In February 1979, so almost 40 years ago, Deng Xiaoping, at the end of his U.S. visit, came through Seattle. And that Seattle relationship, in fact, blossomed from that point forward. Why? Because Seattle understood, and some of the leaders in the political and, and government and commercial area in Seattle understood what China's current needs were. And a simple example of that was that uh, I'll actually give two um, one is there's always a discussion of what do you give as a gift to somebody like Deng Xiaoping? And the gift that Seattle <laughs> gave to Deng Xiaoping was not a box of smoked salmon, okay, which could be, you know, something very regional. It was actually a box of details from the government of the city of Seattle on how they manage infrastructure, how they manage the ports, how they manage the sewers and the power and keep the roads clean and collect the garbage. 
Oh, that's very, the know-how. <laughs> that's the know-how, and and that was I- I pivotal at at from an understanding of what China needed then. The second thing that Seattle did at the same time, uh, one of the leading lawyers in the area, Stan Bearer, found the legal mechanism that allowed U.S. ships to both to port in a Chinese port and a Chinese ship to port in a U.S. port, which had been prohibited in law for many decades before that. So the understanding at that stage was, and this was the basically the 70s and 80s, is what does China need? Deng Xiaoping expressed at his, his dinner in Seattle that we are entering what his quote was, the long march towards modernization. China needed know-how in infrastructure and basic running ports and running cities and giving support to industry. And so that was mutual benefit at that point in time. Fast forward a little bit in the 1990s, China is now at a stage of having basic infrastructure and in the 80s and 90s needed viable businesses and opened up the laws to allow you to establish viable businesses. Now, at this, in my company, Eastman Kodak Company, we were incredibly active and, and progressive in those days. So what did we do in the first stage of modernization? We did technology transfer and training and knowledge transfer contracts, service contracts, um, licensing of technology. We understood the risks, and so generally we licensed older technology. That was That's not being, you know, that's very transparent. The Chinese knew what they were buying. It was much better than what they had. We were protecting what, what were our crown jewels at the time, be it um, chemical or electronic technologies. And this is why it's important to understand the dynamics of your own technology. You can give away to today's technology, sell it, in, in other words, um, or put it into a riskier environment if you know tomorrow's technology will replace that. If you're in a dynamic industry, there are many opportunities for you. So we progressed yeah, so from... I- Pure mm-hmm. technology transfer, just to, to finish this, this last point, into joint ventures because what they wanted was business operations then in the 90s that were sustainable business operations and references for their state industry. And so we the mutual benefit changed from just throwing something over the fence to actually working with the Chinese in a joint venture to establish a viable, sustainable business. Yeah, that's. Um, I went through the similar type of experience by working in a joint venture in China in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly like what you said, Andy. Uh, I worked in HP at that time, and the company I worked in uh, was a manufacturing site of HP. So uh, we were in China, and it's joint venture. I, I remember at that time, there's a policies, China side policies. Uh, the joint venture needs to be 51% from the China side and 49% from the mm-hmm. U.S. side. Mm-hmm. Yep. In this way, exactly. yeah, the, the China side can have the majority, right? So, yeah, that's exactly so, what you said. Uh, not just the technology, the production line, but also uh, management. How do you manage uh, this uh, uh, facility and how do you, you know, manage this uh, pr- um, manufacturing site uh, and uh, all the logistics, import, export, uh, uh, and work with worldwide uh, vendors, right? So it's, right. it's definitely something that uh, one of the strategy that from China side, the government uh, uh, implemented by forming these type of joint ventures. So let's go forward the next couple of, of stages in, the, in this process. So it was basic modernization to then 
building sustainable or viable businesses, maybe a joint venture, Chinese-controlled. Now they want, uh, in the 90s and 2000s, accelerated industry reform so that they build competitive industries and specifically globally competitive companies, companies that compete on a global stage and and in global markets. So joint ventures may or may not be practical in that environment. Uh, And the company I was working with, we worked with what is now NDRC to reform an industry sector. And so we had what the Chinese um, desired, which were two things, capital, we could bring investment in, FDI. And secondly, we had world-class technology. And so we worked with NDRC to reform an industry sector. But for a globally competitive industry or set of companies, what you need are operationally globally competitive structures with you know, with normal market access uh, and business operations inside of China and export operations outside of that. That required new structures. And so we set up uh, a new type of company structure, different type of shareholding, but gave us the practical control. I'll give one example, for instance, combined accounting. So if you have multiple companies in a country, which is typical of any company, any multinational in any country, it is a, a practical um, benefit of, of legal uh, regime and accounting law to be able to combine the finances of those companies as you file taxes and other, other filings for those companies, combined accounting. China had never had that. That was one of many things that we went to the national government to say, these companies we will invest in and make globally competitive, we will bring technology into, need these legal structures to be able to operate. Another one in market access is to be able to participate in the complete value chain. Companies not only make uh, products, um, the old China model would be then you sell to a Chinese distributor and they distribute for you. That's not globally competitive. You need sales and service and market access and retail access and other things that many times were walled off. And so those are practical things that our argument was in the mutual interest We understand in this particular sector what China's priorities are to be globally competitive and what that can mean. But we need these things uh, in order to operate that way. Um, And through, you know, years of negotiation in that particular case, but through negotiation, you find how to do that practically within Chinese law and protecting your assets. And so there's some of the progression where mutual interest changes. And what's happening today is we're moving, you know, we've moved from modernization to competitiveness to globally competitive. And now China in many industries is in a, in a strategy and, and on the verge of, if not uh, reaching, global leadership and shared global leadership in some industries. And how do you build an in, a, a relationship uh, with Chinese companies, uh, with access to the Chinese market, where in fact... They now have very clear national strategies for global leadership um, in these in this decade and the coming decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, thanks for walking us through the history to understand the big picture there. Um, I think uh, thinking about uh, today, many companies, maybe not the size of the ones that you worked with or you worked for, um, even though they are smaller. Uh, thinking about this Chinese market uh, to to enter into the market, we still need to have a little bit uh, um, 
a view of the uh, overall industry and at the national level, then how do they, uh, just thinking about someone is considering that, uh, how do they find the right resources to really get into those kind of uh, knowledge uh, right. to understand what are the things that we can touch on, what are, we shouldn't? Right. So um, I'll give an example, and I'll use the organization that you and I are part of, the Washington State-China Relations Council, as one example. Because it's a dynamic environment, there is, and has been active for many decades, there is accumulated knowledge of people with the perspective of today's environment and what's likely to happen in the coming years, even for a small company. And so in the U.S. environment, if you're U.S.-based or in the Asian environment, tap into those organizations where that knowledge exists. Um, in our environment here in the U.S., there's the U.S.-China Business Council, as an example, or Washington State-China Relations Council. We have a network of people with active businesses uh, in U.S.-China trade, with legal understanding in that environment, with, in your particular case, for instance, in business operations, consulting, other things like that, that tap into people with knowledge um, and learn the current environment as it applies to your particular business sector or your industry. Um, and that will help you to sort through the many offers you'll have of particular partnerships or people that express that they have some things that may help you in the China environment. Um, many of those are, are people, you know, looking to make some money off of you but with not an awful lot to contribute and other cases could be very viable partners. And you need some help to sort through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that's one of the reasons why I joined the Washington State-China Relations Council, because that's a place where many people like us, the professional, uh, providing professional service uh, from all kinds of perspective, <laughs> different expertise, uh, we come together and uh, uh, the, the council is uh, like a bridge that's connecting both sides. On one side is uh, professionals like us, on the other side are the businesses that's needing this type of help and uh, exactly yeah mm -hmm. this council is really focusing on china mm -hmm. and it and it's changed i mean as, as business strategies changed uh, so do these organizations so originally in the 1970s and 80s the china relations council here in washington state organized the outgoing trips of experts going and helping the chinese to um, set up infrastructure operations other things like that and a lot of outgoing export to trade from the u.s now, in fact, it's much more balanced or has swung a little bit the other way where many of the things that we host in the China Relations Council are bringing delegations from China here that are looking to grow and integrate into global markets, uh, the largest being in North America uh, across the NAFTA countries and places like Seattle being a natural entry point uh, because we have so much expertise in this environment. And so we work a lot to facilitate those relationships of U.S. companies wanting to build Chinese connections into companies in that environment and vice versa, investment and capabilities coming here. Yeah, and I remember, uh, which year was it when Xi Jinping visited Seattle? This, this uh, was uh, 2015, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> already two and a half years ago. Uh, the council worked really hard to organize and host uh, some of the events. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about this just to share with our audience that uh, uh, organizations like the China Relations Council, what we can do and how they can tap into this resource. Um, I think we are 
due to a break, and uh, we will come back just after a really short, uh, you know, few minutes. Great. Look forward to it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When it comes to successful marketing, nothing speaks louder than your company name. A clear, concise, and compelling brand identity opens doors and invites further conversation. If you struggle to explain, educate, or clarify who you are and what you do, then you'll benefit from listening to Brilliant Branding with expert Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heemstra. Discover insider secrets from enlightened naming strategies to effective brand positioning. Tune in live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. This is In China with Michelle Zhou, and this is Michelle, and I'm here together with my guest, Andy Wilson. Um, before the break, Andy and I talked a little bit about the resources that um, American companies can tap into. Uh, for example, uh, the one that we are working together, volunteering <laughs> together, uh, and um, it, I think is very uh, helpful to our local business here. It's called Washington State China Relations Council. And of course, there are many other uh, organizations uh, working as a bridge for China and the U.S. So I think now, um, Andy, we can talk a little bit more in depth about uh, the 
China Relations Council, uh, what kind of uh, specific things we can help or people can tap into. So they would be able to uh, start with a point, uh, one contact point, and then um, tap into all these different uh, help they need or professional services they need in order to be successful in China. Exactly. Be happy to. Um, mm-hmm. So as we spoke earlier, the China Relations Council here in Washington State has been uh, active for nearly 40 years from the beginning of the current era of China relations. What we're active in, in today is, is we perform a number of services basically for members who are a membership-based organization solely. We don't rely on government funding or or other capabilities. Uh, and so we provide a forum for current information and current understanding of China relations that we bring in expertise nationally and internationally on subjects like trade relations, on subjects uh, like uh, intellectual property and protection of intellectual property, uh, and current trends in the in the relationship, uh, including in some cases we'll bring in expertise in the security environment. Uh, and so as an example, in our upcoming um, annual gala, we'll be bringing in um, uh, uh, the former head of the U.S. Sixth Fleet, which is the the Naval Command across the Pacific Command, uh, and he will be in conversation with uh, Ambassador Gary Locke uh, and talking about the economic and security environment in Eastern Asia and Northeast Asia and how that bears into the U.S.-China relationship at this point in time. Um, obviously, with from South China Sea to Taiwan to uh, North Korea, there are many sensitivities in the relationship on the security side, um, but also there are many sensitivities on the economic side in terms of trade rela- regulations uh, and uh, some of the risks of uh, retaliation for in the in the trade environment. So those are some examples of of forms that we create where we engage with our membership an active discussion of current topics. Um, we also advocate uh, with, uh, we're not a lobbying organization, but we advocate for a, for a discussion on current topics uh, on the policy side. And so, for instance, in the trade relations, the current U.S. administration has been um, very aggressive in some of its comments towards the trade imbalance with China and towards trade regulations uh, between the U.S. and China in some areas where they feel that there may be um, penalties or other other um, uh, effects needing to be taken. And so we will convene uh, discussions and panels on topics like that to um, basically bring up the awareness and, and uh, the gravity of the current situation because there are great risks now because this trading relationship is as large as it is. So um, we're an organization that allows membership access to our expertise within our network, uh, which is of national expertise, uh, and active discussion in forums, in banquets, uh, and other panels where they can understand the current environment. Um, From that network also comes specific expertise if people have legal needs to establish a company in China, um, legal needs in the intellectual property environment. Within our network, there are likely um, uh, experts that, in fact, can be, you know, build a relationship with them to help them on their particular issue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can also share an example. Oh, I got engaged with you know the China Relations Council uh, because I'm providing professional services on management consulting. Uh, one of the client that introduced through this platform uh, was a more like a startup. They are a little bit established startup. They want to work with Chinese partners. And then they came to the council and then uh, came to me to find, uh, on one side is they want to understand what are the right way to engage with Chinese potential uh, uh, partners. Um, How do we you know, uh, form a kind of a trusted relationship as well as how should we communicate with each other. Second part is uh, also look at the strategies, uh, mm-hmm. the market entry strategies, what's, what is um, uh, more optimal for them. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is the kind of services we can provide. It's exactly. not just for the you know very high level national level policies, <laughs> government stuff. Uh, it's it's actually down to the earth of each business um, on their no matter it's a market entry strategy or finding the right partners there or um, on some subject matter like legal side. <laughs> I'll give a practical example. Also, there are many technologies where um, the ecosystem in the Seattle area is is world-class. And so in many cases, we will convene forums for new business partnerships. So for instance, in the area of virtual reality, um, mm-hmm. we convened a, a forum between Shenzhen companies who we brought over. Um, there were experts in virtual reality and the Seattle uh, companies or the greater Seattle area. And through those connections, uh, come new relationships where um, many of those Shenzhen companies were setting up in partnership new software development organizations here in the greater Seattle area. Companies were from here were building partnerships for technology and other things with the Shenzhen, their Shenzhen partners. So very at the very practical level of business-to-business, um, organization-to-organization contacts in specific technologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, another Question I am personally very interested in, and I never asked you before, even though I know you for a couple of years. So, Andy, how did you first get into uh, this China Relations Council? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my, my attraction to China goes, goes very deep. I'll say that uh, my grandmother was actually living in Beijing um, in the early parts of the last century. Uh, she, she and her husband at the time were... Uh, he was in the American legation uh, in the years from 1903 to 1908. Uh, and so I grew up with stories of Beijing from the early 20th century from my grandmother. And so there was always an attraction to me to the the China environment and China business. And then I got involved in China trade and, and uh, commerce in the 1980s and progressed through some of the stories we talked about. So when I left the State Department and came to Washington State to work again on China trade in the intellectual property and innovation space, um, it was naturally for me to connect with the China Relations Council because it's, it brings together like-minded people that are, in, that are actively working to progress the bilateral relationship through successful relationships, business by business, cultural exchange by cultural exchange. It's success at that level that, that in fact defines to the national government's you know, how to build the future rather than waiting for the national governments to come up with, as you say, big strategies or other things. It's the little successes, company to company, 
um, that actually define the relationship and the strength and uh, the relationship going forward. And so that attracted me into the China Relations Council, and, and I've been there now three, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is most rewarding for you? Because I know you and I, you know, we work at, yeah. in the board. We are more like a volunteers, right? We don't uh, uh, charge for our time, our energy, our resources we spent there. <laughs> so what is most rewarding for you working there? What's, what's most rewarding is to help to encourage, I'll say, and to, just to observe and, and to promote those next successes in the next model. I'll give an example of this. It's not something that I was involved in the leadership of, but it's an example of where the world is going. There's a, a new venture here in the, in the Northwest that on a global basis is setting a new model for cooperation across countries, and it's called the Global Innovation Exchange. And through the, the leadership of the University of Washington and the vision of people like Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, um, the University of Washington built a unique relationship between the United States and China, and specifically between University of Washington and Tsinghua University. And this is a new model for education at the, at the advanced graduate level and a new model for innovation across borders and integrated with industry. And so this is a, a they built a whole new school and a new campus here in Seattle and also at, in Tsinghua. The students that go through this graduate program in innovation in high technology come from around the world, but significantly from China and the U.S., and they are innovating both education and commercialization of, of new technology and innovation because companies that are co-investors in this new enterprise, this new university, are have first rights and access to their advances in today, Internet of Things, of new healthcare, and new technologies. And so here's an example that is that breaks the old rules of old university models and does that across borders and in the leading edge of technology. And, you know, these kinds of things, this is what excites me, and this is what makes me an optimist towards the opportunities for this relationship. And, and this is a relationship now among equals between the United States and China. Uh, and China has its aspirations to lead globally, and the U.S. has its aspirations to lead globally. How do we do that together? How do we do that protecting our national interests, but allowing innovation to flow and, and new models and new businesses to thrive? Because there will be a lot of startups that come out of this new university, and those startups could be in Seattle, could be in Shenzhen, could be any place. So it's these kinds of examples that show that there is tremendous opportunity coming forward. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, Qing, by the way, Tsinghua University is the top one among the top three. Let me just not mm-hmm. to create any argument here. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> among the top three universities in China. Um, so this formed together a a new school with uh, Washington uh, <laughs> University of Washington, also a top, top worldwide uni- mm-hmm. uh, world university uh, that really cre- and creates the new form, right, with um, technology exactly. companies like Microsoft and many others at the back to uh, bring in very uh, practical uh, projects <laughs> and come up, come out with uh, very uh, useful, uh, realistic stuff that directly into industry. That's just a totally new form. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also do a little bit of announcement here, uh, and you probably don't know this. <laughs> uh, some Chinese companies are looking into uh, recruiting talents from the U.S., and uh, uh, my company, Technology uh, Pacific Technologies Consulting Group, we are also helping those companies uh, the Chinese companies uh, looking into the talents in the U.S. Uh, and uh, we are going to host an event um, in the global um, GIX, uh, global um, innovation, uh, innovation exchange. exchange. Yeah, the one we just talked about. We are going to host it there to uh, talk to many, many of the uh, Chinese people who are working in the technology industry to to let them know the opportunities in China. So we pick we pick that place uh, because the background that you just mentioned, and because the uh, special uh, focus they have on innovation. And technology, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, I think so, this. I mean, these are great examples that you know. If we look at the journey we've been on just in in the last hour here, from the early stages of China to now, and this is, I, I believe, we are in a new era of the U.S.-China relationship and of commercial relations with China. And so, in that in that era of competing and cooperating as equals. Now, how do you gain market access? How do you protect your technology? How do you access Chinese innovation? Because Chinese innovation is coming up very rapidly. And so how do you uh, access talent and designs and innovation that's on the Chinese side to benefit your business as an equal partner? And what's the balance of interest? What's in it for both sides? And so we're in a new era, uh, and we will be in this era for a long time of, of leading global organizations. And how do you, as you develop your business going forward, take advantage of, in fact, that advancement that is now real and on the ground in China? That's great. Okay, uh, I think uh, uh, we are at the end of this session. There's so much to talk about, and we will uh, talk about more in future sessions, uh, go deep into each of the points that we uh, touched on today. I want to thank you so much, Andy, for your, um, for your time today and for your knowledge sharing with our audience. And I also want to thank everyone um, listening to the show. Uh, it's great to have you all here. Uh, today we have talked about strategies for building business partnerships in China, especially on how you can access the market and protect your technologies. Uh, you can find more about Washington State China Relations Council by going to the website. It's wscrc.org. And you can also go to LinkedIn to follow Andy Wilson from there. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. And next week, uh, we are going to uh, take a deeper look at the different sectors in China. So see you next week. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhao. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week. 